Welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast, a show for ambitious female business owners that want to grow irresistible brands. If you're running a business and juggling family commitments and often your sanity, well, you're in the right place. I'm Liz from Elevate and I'm your host. I'll be chatting with inspiring guests who are sharing their stories and practical advice to help you navigate the highs and lows of building a business with grit and wit. Hello, welcome to this special edition of the Grit and Wit podcast. These are really weird times, aren't they? I mean, we're all feeling this very bizarre sort of stress and strain of living through what is essentially a kind of unprecedented sort of situation with the coronavirus at the moment. So I've decided to respond to this by pressing pause on my plan schedule for the Grit and Wit podcast and actually to record some specials I'm hoping will help you guys just to feel a little bit better and to perhaps answer some questions that might be kind of popping up. I know they've been popping up for me recently. So this week I've got the fabulous Josie from a business called Live to Thrive and you can find Josie at livetothrive.co.uk. Josie is a nutritional therapist and so she is going to be talking to me all things food, supplements, coronavirus, immunity, and talking about some of the things that we can do at this weird time to help to boost our immunity, but potentially boost our mood as well, and really look after our our bodies and our families. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Josie, and welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast. I'm really pleased you're here today to answer some of the questions that I know some of my listeners will have. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually really nice to be able to do something useful at what is quite a strange time for us all so yeah it's great to be here thank you. We're going to dive straight in if that's okay and I know that you've done quite a bit of research on this crazy situation with the coronavirus so can you give us any information about that what's the kind of incubation period is any of the bits that you've learnt for the situation that we're in right now. And I should say today we're the 18th of March. So things are obviously changing day by day, but this is recorded on the 18th of March. Yeah, sure. So yes, I have been looking into this in quite a lot of detail because obviously being a nutritional therapist, there's loads of stuff going around in in the kind of health arena and in the medical arena that we have access to. So it, it is an ever-changing situation, but you know, the coronavirus is a large family of viruses and it, it, it actually includes four strains of the common cold and then going right through to the the relatively recent SARS virus that you've probably heard of and community acquired coronaviruses are kind of everywhere that investigators have kind of looked really this particular strain is obviously a new one They're, they're, they're known as what's called zoonotic which means that they're transmitted between different species and I know there's been quite a lot of speculation but you know everybody seems to be fairly sure that the the natural hosts of this virus are bats and that's where this this came from and everybody started off saying oh you know it's fine don't worry about it it's just the same as flu and now everybody's freaking out going we're all going to die and actually you know we need to be respectful of the fact that this virus is worse than flu it is you know comparisons with the flu are a bit misleading I think but also the mortality rates that are being banded about are equally as misleading in my opinion Um, and the reason for that is that you know the different countries that we're looking at have had very different strategies of how to test for this virus 
And it's it's thought now actually that the most reliable kind of model that we have right now is looking at South Korea because they've been very aggressive in their testing strategy, whereas we haven't at all, and nor nor have America. And there were reasons behind that, but. Without getting into the politics of it, you know, South Korea have been very aggressive. So therefore, the ratio of kind of death versus recorded cases is actually lower than than what we're hearing. So, you know, if you've got a recorded cases, uh, number of cases that are very high, obviously, the number of people that are dying is going to be a smaller percentage. If your recorded cases are lower, which they are in countries where you're not routinely testing, such as the UK right now, then your mortality percentage is going to seem higher. So, you know, people are talking about 3%, even 5%, but it's thought that the mortality rate is actually more like 0.6%. And to put that in context, the seasonal flu is about 0.1%. So, you know, it's still six times higher, but it's not as bad as as people are making out. <laughs> so maybe you can draw some comfort from that. It has a, an incubation period. Is, is quite simply, it's just the time between when you contract a virus to when your symptoms start. And you have to take averages and they think the average incubation period for this virus is about five to six days. But they think that all people that will be infected will will get symptoms within 12 days of, of, of catching it. And obviously the whole social isolation thing right now is really, really important because, you know, how many people, if you get it, how many people you're going to infect is going to largely be down to how many people you come into into contact with so that's why this social isolation piece is is really really important in managing the managing the curve and really managing that for our healthcare system to be able to deal with the people that need help and i and i've heard that people can have the virus but be asymptomatic as well mm. so i guess there's a a bunch of people that have it now that are walking around not realizing they even have it having it which is very difficult isn't it for them to to sort of manage if they're not testing everybody exactly and so you know in countries like South Korea anybody who manifested a symptom so it's still going to be underplayed a bit isn't it because there still would have been more people that had it that didn't know but anybody that manifested a symptom would have been tested but as we're not in that situation there's thousands of people right now that are home with a cough or home with a slight temperature who haven't got the coronavirus but we all need to be sensible and self-isolate in those situations and actually even someone sitting here myself who's got absolutely no symptoms whatsoever and I'm not in self-isolation I'm still being incredibly aware that I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm social distancing, you know, in inverted commas, I'm not going to do anything irresponsible. And I'm going to take careful measures if I do need to go anywhere, that I'm taking all the precautions that are necessary. And, and you know, kids are, thankfully, don't seem to be getting, you know, a kind of, it doesn't seem to be very virulent or, or serious in children, which is really great. And there's kind of a couple of theories behind why that is and it it, is a bit of a problem because you know we've still got kids at school right and you know they might not have symptoms but they could have it but you know the situation is changing as you say daily but some of the stuff I've read around that's interesting because it's like well why aren't children wasn't wasn't it really affecting them nearly as much and and one of the theories is that kids actually have a much less robust immune system than adults because, you know, it hasn't been tested and challenged as much as ours. It's more immature, yes. Much more immature, exactly. And um, some of the severer symptoms that we're seeing in adults that, that become 
quite ill is actually a response to a, an overactivation of the immune system in response to the virus. And obviously, you're not going to get that in the children because they're not, you know, their immune systems are more immature. But there's another theory that, you know, this virus is related to the four common cold viruses. It is in the same family. And potentially, children have built up stronger immunity, cross immunity in that regard, because they are much more prone to constant colds and low grade kind of stuff like that from being at school and in nurseries. So the takeout really is the importance of, of kids hygiene at this time. And it's difficult to manage, but, you know, really trying to explain to the children that they've got to be really careful with washing their hands. And every time they come in, go in, come out and, you know, try not to put their hands in their mouth. It is, it is difficult. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Much easier. Yeah. Constantly putting their hands in their mouth or to their face or, you know, touching each other. It's, yeah, it's an ongoing, ongoing challenge. And I think the other ongoing challenge is that people that are self-isolating, we're self-isolating at the moment because I've had a, you can probably hear it. I've had a, a bit of a cough and I've been under the weather for a few days. So I've now got three children at home. So I'm feeling under the weather, yet I've got my children at home to look after and of course I can't call on any of the people that I would normally call on to come and help like my mum yeah. because she's having to isolate herself it's a yeah. it's a very very challenging time for lots of people and I'm not even feeling that bad so I imagine that if you do have the virus and you are really really feeling it or or anything you know if you just have a very sort of severe cold or virus of, of another kind um it's it's very difficult if you've also got your children at home yeah it but is. that's obviously the current advice yeah. How how long does it typically last? Do you know? Well, it, it kind of depends really on, on, the, on the person. So, you know, if you're going to be somebody who doesn't get particularly bad symptoms, you could be over it in a matter of, of days. But obviously, people that are getting more poorly are going to take much longer to recover because it's going to be a, a more difficult situation for their immune systems to handle. So it's difficult to it's difficult to, to give an answer to that, really. But the the other thing that I've sort of been looking into, which I thought might be interesting to share with your listeners, is around how do I get it, you know, or how what you know, how long does it last? Because there's loads of stuff been flying around on this. And obviously this virus needs a host. So that's us, right? The ho- original host, the bat, now we're the host. Um and it needs a host to replicate. But it can also survive outside of a host and that's why we're we're trying to be really careful with things we touch and you know social distancing it's a little bit unclear right now to exactly how long because it's very much dependent on the conditions around you know where the virus is at that time but it's clear that it can range from a few hours to up to nine days but it's thought that nine days it's a long time it's thought that that's probably more likely to be in a in a in a sort of in vitro or as we say or in in a petri dish kind of environment in real life everyday life it's more likely the virus will last for a few hours to a few days in most home environments however you know there is research that's been undertaken already on this it hasn't been published yet that has found that the virus lasts for four hours on copper 24 hours on cardboard and two to three days on plastic and stainless steel so you know we do need to be mindful about 
wiping down doorknobs and you know wiping down sides and steering wheels and stuff like that when we get in and out the car or wear gloves you know if you're going somewhere and then bring them back and you know if you've got disposable gloves brilliant if you haven't wear we're not really sure about fabrics there's conflicting information out there as to how long it can last on fabrics so if you're unsure you can always wash the gloves you know um I was going to ask you about yeah about fabrics as well because I'm not sure at the moment I'm using disposable wipes but the and sort of antibacterial wipes but that doesn't sit very well with me from a sort of environmental perspective and obviously this whole crisis none of this is going to sit well from an environmental perspective but am I best off using disposable wipes or am I better to use uh, a spray and a cloth and I was thinking if I use a cloth am I then just spreading it around the place I'm not quite sure yeah I would not I would not be using a cloth at this time because we don't know unless you're going to wash the cloth every time you use it which is impractical isn't it paper towels that you just throw away straight away is quite a good um, kitchen roll but hey people are probably buying those and chopping them in half right now aren't they so you know to use the new roll so we, we you know we don't, we don't want to create another shortage but you know paper towels or disposable wipes even though they're not environmentally friendly at this time you know are better in my opinion than using a fabric that you're going to retain because it is clear that the virus can live in fabric and on fabric we're just not sure at this stage how long that's for so you know it's it's also interesting looking at this kind of airborne thing because some people are saying that technically it's not classified as an airborne airborne virus however there are some health officials that are saying that it kind of is and and it's again it's a bit of a gray area because the official definition of something you know airborne is quite a narrow it's quite a narrow term and there's a little bit of debate in the sort of leading scholars if you like of viral transmission about whether or not you know is something airborne or not and it's particularly debated around pathogens and viruses such as this so airborne essentially is the the kind of droplet is called an aerosol so it's a very fine spray so something's airborne if it's an aerosol which is a fine spray viral are generally classified as droplets so like when you cough and sneeze so the droplets that come out fall to the ground quicker and land rather than staying in the air And what we know about this virus is, yes, people are transmitting it through coughing and sneezing. And if you're in close proximity to someone and that lands on you and then it lands on your skin and you touch your face, you get it. Yeah, potentially. So that's why we're talking about safe social distancing from people that might cough or sneeze. But then, of course, it could fall the droplet and it could land on a a surface and then you come along and touch it. And we know that it can now live on surfaces for up to three to four days, potentially. So. Everyone's saying, oh, it's not airborne. But, you know, the thing is that there is also a, a, a thing called aerosolization, which is like when a droplet can almost be converted into an aerosol. And that wouldn't necessarily happen with someone cough, but when someone sneezes, so when something comes out in a really fast, you know, at a fast pace. So if someone's in hospital on a ventilator machine, their saliva would potentially be, be aerosoled, if that's the correct term. So... There are people right now that are saying that potentially in certain circumstances, the droplets can be turned into aerosols and aerosols can could live in the air for up to three hours. So I just think we have to be aware of this and just be careful about where we go and who we see and safe distances and all of that stuff that hopefully everyone is doing anyway. 
And, and what about, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I haven't heard that theory yet, but the, the kind of debate about soap versus hand gel, do you have a, a take on that, which is the best to use and which circumstances? Yeah, I mean, they're both, they're both good. They're both fine. Soap is better um, from, what I'm, from what I'm reading. Coronaviruses are what's known as envelope viruses. So envelope viruses means they have a coating around them, which is very easily disruptive with soap and with alcohol-based products like hand sanitizers. So other viruses like the norovirus and rhinoviruses that give you very bad sort of tummy upsets, etc., are not envelope viruses, and they're, they're, they require some quite serious cleaning and hand washing to get them get rid of them to mechanically dispose of them. Without its envelope, the virus is, is inactive. So yes, alcohol will attack and destroy the envelope protein that surrounds it, but you do need to have at least 60% alcohol in the hand gel for it to be effective. Um, but that also means that cleaning products are often very effective in dealing with the virus, like detergent and stuff like that. So, you know, because they're so, you know, the soap. So even just using your 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 household detergents to, to clean seems to be effective because again it's killing this it's killing this envelope and disrupting it so lots of people are stressing out because they can't get hold of hand gel it's handy when you're out and about but as we're going out and about less and less you know yes if you have got one maybe keep it in the car so if you need to go out and you need to go to somewhere you can hand gel yourself as soon as you get back in the car before you touch the steering wheel but actually I'm just getting into the practice of coming in the front door going straight to the kitchen sink and I'm making my children do the same and washing our hands straight away it's going to change our habits, isn't it? I think there's going to be a long lasting effect on people's habits. We did a, an experiment this morning. Obviously, I'm trying to kind of homeschool today. Uh, and the, the experiment that's sort of doing the rounds, I'm sure you've seen with the bowl of water where you put the pepper on top and then you have the children dip their finger in. And then obviously the pepper is like germs and their finger comes out covered in pepper. And then you put soap on the finger and it actually repels the pepper. Yeah. And my kids were totally in awe with that. They said, wow, they were like, my son said it was like something from Star Wars or something like yeah it's really cool isn't it it was really cool it was a really visual way to to describe germs and the effectiveness of soap as well actually to children so yeah even the, even my five-year-old kind of was like oh that's really cool yeah I'm gonna use my soap <laughs> yeah it's a great it's really good visual impact I agree for kids and you know our kids are pretty good at taking this stuff on board you know my kids you've got to try and give it to them in a way that is not going to freak them out. There is some good stuff I've found online and on Facebook groups, that are nice little ways of talking to your children about the virus, nice ways that you can show them pictures and explain without them getting worried or anxious. Um, and mine, mine have just taken it on board, you know, even they're saying, oh, mummy, we must wash our hands now. And we're all going to be sick of the happy birthday song, aren't we? by the time this is over. I know. I wish they'd chosen a different song. I really do. But it, it's quite heartening to to hear. Like I'm, I'm in the house somewhere and I can hear, you know, my five-year-old daughter singing and she sings it to herself. So it's, it's quite amusing. But yeah, it's, it's ruined it for a generation, definitely. <laughs> it really has. So shall we talk now about some of the kind of proactive, positive things that we can do to help ourselves? Um, maybe we start with some some food ideas obviously nutrition's your thing let's uh, let's start with some ideas yeah what could we do to kind of help support our immune system at the moment is there anything we should be looking to eat or drink yes so i mean the thing to think about is that you know your entire body really needs a very steady supply of vitamins minerals 
things called phytochemicals, you know, antioxidants, so nutrients, basically, to function at its optimal level. And any diet that's got, you know, kind of quite whole and natural foods will provide this. So it's really hard at the moment, because obviously, everyone's getting quite stressed about getting hold of food anyway. But actually, as a nutritional therapist, you know, the things that are being panic bought, we're, we're, there's loads of stuff going around in my in my sort of, in my circle, because we're all trying to make light of the situation, aren't we? That's, you know, about the panic buy, the aisles and the vegetable, fruit and vegetable. You know, nobody's panic buying, you know, panic buy vegetables, people, you know, go and panic, panic, <laughs> buy, panic buy the colourful stuff. But actually, we've got to look after our immune system. We've got to look after our digestive systems. And there's things that we can do to support that. Our digestive systems, our gut, you know, it's very common buzz kind of work you know gut health at the moment but that is actually really important to think about because the gut houses up to 70 percent of our immune system and not many people realize that it's like our digestive tract is the is the you know first thing that it's the point of entry to the outside world so it's the first you know when anything comes into our mouth it has to go down the digestive tract so that's the same for the virus so we need to look after our gut health and often in people that's you know healths are challenged you know it's kind of we're finding more and more that a person's gut health is often implicated in these kind of chronic low-grade inflammation type um, disorders that are common nowadays and also I'm thinking about mood you know and actually everybody keeping our mood high we know that or stopping our our mood from getting low because it is it's challenging for everybody we know that supporting your body with these kind of steady supply of nutrients is really important to support mood as well and and kind of one of the neurotransmitters that is really involved with mood is something called serotonin which you've probably heard of and that is actually made in the gut or a a large proportion of that is made in the gut too so thinking about you know gut health which is thinking about eating nutritionally dense food think about a mediterranean diet if you can you know thinking about eating food in its whole form trying to get as many colors into your diet as you can under these you know challenging circumstances keep you know it get buy that if you can get hold of it you know keep getting the fruit get the veg the green veg um make smoothies be inventive you know don't just default to oh we're all stuck inside it's a total nightmare let's just sit and binge eat rubbish and you know get drunk it, it, it we've got to be responsible and think about hard as this is we all have a duty to try and keep our immune systems robust so that we can fight the the virus effectively if we get it so Things like, you know, great quality protein. Protein is vital to build and repair body tissue. And it's also vital to fight viral and bacterial infections. You know, immune system, things such as antibodies and immune cells rely on protein. So don't forget to eat good quality protein. So chicken, fish, oily fish, which is also really good for fighting inflammation because it's a rich source of omega-3 fats. Plenty of, of good sort of grains, good quality grains. So like rice and quinoa and those kind of things, you know, have those with your protein have an abundance of of colorful food if you can get hold of it and try to remember that you know you're just nourishing your body all the time because if you have got the virus even if you don't know it you're going to get over it more quickly potentially if you're giving your body the right tools to do that and in, in terms of protein then if i can just interrupt you for a sec if you're perhaps following a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet what would be the kinds of protein that you'd be looking at that you'd class as high quality protein if you're vegetarian, the highest quality protein that you can have is an egg. So that would be the best 
protein source for you. If you're a vegan, then you're relying on what we call legumes, which is basically beans and pulses. And you're relying on trying to get quite a good combination of those to give your food the best protein or amino acids, which is the smallest components of a protein when it's broken down is the building blocks is, is an amino acid. And to give your body the, the best kind of combination of those, you need to try and combine those and not just eat the same one day in day out so plenty of legumes beans pulses lentils you know kidney beans chickpeas all of that kind of stuff eggs are brilliant eggs are you know great and if you are eating meat you know chicken fish lean protein it's fine to include red meat as well we generally advise people you know to limit red meat to you know a couple of times a week but just get some protein in it's really really important nuts and seeds are also really great if you can eat them because they're really good sources of minerals such as zinc and I'll talk a bit later if we've got time about potential supplements and how they're beneficial and zinc is one of them that's really really important in immunity and it's present in fairly high quantities in nuts and seeds as is another mineral called selenium. If you can get hold of Brazil nuts and have a few Brazil nuts every day, you're going to be really helping your, you know, your body to get get good stores of selenium in place, which help. Veggies are full of fiber. You know, the gut to 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 have a healthy gut, the kind of microbiome as it as it's called in my world, which is essentially your kind of your gut ecology. Um, it's the mass of bacteria and other kind of microorganisms that live in your gut. And those things regulate lots of messages that go between your gut and your brain. So they're really important with mood regulation. The food you eat is key in determining the health of your microbiome. And then that kind of shapes the nature of the messages. And it all also impacts not only your mood, but your immune system. So fiber is really, really important. So lots of, you know, vegetables to get good quality fiber. Um, things like oats are great. And that helps with keeping our blood sugar levels stable. Because obviously foods, sugary foods that kind of cause a big spike in insulin and send your blood sugar soaring lead to the release of certain hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. And that can actually make you feel quite stressed and anxious and at a time when we're already feeling quite stressed and anxious. If you can manage your blood sugar levels and, you know, that, that can be helpful. And green leafy veg are really high in rich in magnesium. And that's that's an important one as well. OK, that's all useful to know for sure. So. If we're kind of thinking about snacks, perhaps, rather than, you know, proper meals at this stage, what are we likely to have in the cupboard? Or hopefully we'll have some of these things in the cupboard that would make a really good snack. You said Brazil nuts. Yeah, nuts and seeds. I've been buying, we get through a lot anyway, but if you can get to the supermarket, you get a few packs of oat cakes put put on your shop. There's lots of different times you, uh, types. You can get seeded oat cakes, fine milled. They're a really good snack because you can chuck some hummus on top of that. Or, you know, if you if we're all stuck at home, you know, you can get a t- tin of butter beans and chuck it in your uh, food processor with like half a pepper and some olive oil and lemon juice and make your own butter bean dip really easily um, you could do that with chickpeas you know there's lots of recipes for really easy dips that you can use tins that you've got even if you can't get the fresh the fresh stuff you know we've all got a few herbs and spices lurking in our cupboards get those out and use those you know the immune system loves herbs and spices are full of these phytochemicals these kind of compounds that really really help to um, support the immune system so get you know use use those spice up your food and get some you know get some get as much variety 
you know into you as you possibly can and try try and sort of eat the rainbow but think about ev- the rainbow being everything not just you know not just fruit and veg yeah it's interesting i i heard some reports that sort of part of the good news stuff coming out from china where people were saying that actually they have become so much more inventive in their cooking because they are starting to use up some stuff that they had hanging around the house uh, and actually have you know have started to really enjoy cooking again so i guess for any of us that have been a bit more reliant on quick meals and sort of fast fixes this whole time might be a, a good opportunity to explore the store cupboard and see what we've got in the way of those herbs hanging around what about like can you freeze stuff like i i heard something somewhere that you could freeze things like citrus fruits um, and that you could also freeze herbs which obviously at the moment we're not quite sure about the supply chain so that might be a good option is that do you still have the same nutrients and stuff in them or does that kind of kill it no it's brilliant I freeze loads of stuff I I buy ginger a lot of ginger I I chop it into chunks and put it in a bag or a box and I put it in the freezer and I make a smoothie with you know three carrots, an orange, some water, a big spoonful of turmeric, and I'll chuck in two chunks of ginger. And that's a really good immune supporting, you know, smoothie or drink right there. You can also chuck it into green smoothies, you know, cucumber, apples, celery, spinach. And yeah, herbs, you can chop them when they're fresh. That they go they go soggy, so they're better for putting in things that you want flavour rather than sprinkling on top. They don't look very pretty. But you'll still get the you know, it might might not be quite as strong, but you will still get the flavour. And the I believe the sort of I think they're the phenolic compounds that are beneficial. I don't believe that they're degraded at all when they're frozen. So absolutely use the freezer. You know, I've I've even when I've got fruit going over I freeze I freeze ripe bananas chopped to make cakes, you know, healthy cakes. I freeze green bananas because bananas actually when they're green are better for your gut. They're really beneficial for your gut health because they provide a certain type of fiber that the bacteria in your gut really likes to feed on. I chop them up when they're green and I freeze them before they get a chance to get more sugary. Um, I've even frozen oranges before where we'd be going on a holiday and we've got a bowl full of oranges and I've just frozen them, put them into slices. I've frozen them and I chuck them in my smoothies and then they're kind of like an ice cube as well as a, you know, a a flavouring. So use your freezers at this time. And I know there's lots of people out there that are doing lots of batch cooking and stuff, which I think is really great. Um, and, And I've been really impressed over the last week about how positive I know there's a lot of negative stuff on social media. You've got to try and filter that stuff out. But how much positive stuff is coming through social media? And I'm starting to see lots of positive stuff on, as we were just talking about, recipes and inventiveness and people that are setting up little like, hey, what have you got in your cupboard and what can we, what can we cook today sort of? I, yeah, I saw something similar, somebody doing a, a sort of a challenge almost, like give me five ingredients and I'll I'll whip you something up amazing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's of, brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And there's loads of good stuff. There's loads and loads of good food stuff on Instagram and on Facebook, if you look. Tons. Are there any particular accounts that you'd recommend? Or I mean, I follow quite a lot of people that 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 make sort of vegan food. I'm not a vegan, but I do. I was a vegetarian for 25 years of my life, and I do like vegan food. And I, uh, you know, I I like to have a broad range of things that I can recommend to my clients as well. There's a there's a guy called Healthy Living James who I really like and I follow on Instagram. There's obviously always Deliciously Ella, and I have to say she her app her app is really good. It's about a pound a month, and she comes up with some quite good things. I'm not sure right now with availability because she does use some ingredients that the average person might not have in there 
in their store cupboard. But, you know, there's even like a friend just last weekend we were chatting because she's been using her slow cooker a lot. And she's sent me a link to a slow cooker Facebook group. It's blooming brilliant if you've got a slow cooker somewhere. I'm on one of those. (laughs) It's really good though. And these, these are not people who are cooking with fancy ingredients and kind of cooking that it's it's honest home family-based meals but I tell you what it's easy it's convenient um and you can one pick pot the washing up is pot. minimal I love yeah. it <laughs> and actually really good for leftovers so it's time if we're getting a big shop and then you know I'm quite good at looking at my fridge and going oh all of that needs using up I'll just whip something up because I like doing that but not everyone is but the slow cooker is a great way of using up stuff that you don't really know what to do with she can always make something with it you know (laughs) chuck it all in the slow cooker so yeah use use social media I have to say you've inspired me because I follow you on Instagram and yeah you're always talking about how just before you have a shop arrival before you go and do your shopping you look through your fridge and you see the things that are sort of leftover things I suppose any random you know vegetables and the odd pepper and whatever else and how you then will roast those off so that you can have them as sort of roasted veg on on your pasta sauce or whatever and I've got into the habit of doing that as well so it's it's a really 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 nice way of using those things up but then also kind of meal prepping so that the next few meals are much easier and you've got a bit of interest in there because you've got some lovely roasted vegetables I often do two trays at a time yeah and you can freeze it as well you can roast a tray of veg and freeze it or liquidize it with a half a can of tomatoes or something and make it into a a pasta sauce or incorporate it into another dish or homemade pizzas or whatever you want to do and you can freeze it yeah hiding it hiding it that was another thing that you hiding hide the veg (laughs) hide it hide it as a in for a pizza base for the tomato sauce for a pizza base hiding all the veggies in there for the kids yeah that's exactly what I do I have to do that (laughs) (laughs) okay so anything else that we could be eating right now that will kind of help support our immune system um, we're going to go for the seeds and we're going to go for the nuts. We're going to try and eat lots of protein, good quality protein, obviously looking at the grains. What about sort of dairy? Is there any any kind of thing to do with dairy and this particular virus that you've heard of? Or is that all fine? No, I mean, you know, some people don't eat a great deal of dairy, but potentially some people that have got sort of atopic conditions like asthma and eczema sometimes tend to avoid dairy because it can exacerbate those conditions potentially in some people you know I don't eat a lot of dairy but I have a I have an intolerance to dairy so it's fine if I I can have it if I want but too much of it and it flares it flares up eczema for me so I don't tend to really to really eat it but no I mean you know it's not a food group that I would ever advise for you to to max out on have it as a balanced part of your you know of your plate but don't sort of go heavy on it would be my advice because you're going to get more nutritionally from the other things that we've talked about from the leafy greens and salads from the from the fruit vegetables whole grains and protein you know oils good quality olive oils coconut oil you know and 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 drink you know drinks water water you know and make some smoothies you know try to minimize caffeine i mean caffeine's fine and nothing against it it doesn't it doesn't do well for me but some people tolerate it quite well but it can lead to sort of low persistent levels of anxiety in some people and you know just be aware of that and it's the same with alcohol you know 
I was just about to ask you about alcohol because I've seen lots of stuff online about everyone stocking up and actually they're not going for the leafy greens. They're, they're stocking up on the gin and the vodka. <laughs> no, you know, and I, and I put my hand up and say that I have absolutely taken part in that <laughs> because I do like my gin and I do like my wine. But, you know, drinking too much can put a really big burden on your detoxification capabilities. It could cause hormone disruption. It can also really affect the sort of integrity of the lining of your gut. So it can leave your gut a little bit open and more susceptible to infection potentially and picking stuff up. So, you know, and there's a knock-on effect to your mood. We all know that when we've had a night out, your mood is low for a couple of days afterwards generally. So I'm not saying don't have a drink. I mean, goodness sake, right now we all want to have a drink don't we and that is absolutely fine but just think about all of these things you know for me I'm not going to beat myself up if I have a couple of glasses of wine of an evening but I will do everything I can to make sure that I'm making nourishing my body in the best way possible for the rest of the day and I tend generally to have a rule that I don't drink in the week unless I'm going out or seeing someone if we're at home and I drink at weekends you're not going to be going out now I'm not going out so I guess I'm going to have to rethink that (laughs) maybe I'll make Wednesday uh, the new Saturday just just you know because I can Um, but yeah don't don't worry about it but just all of these things you know sugar too much sugar can increase inflammation in your body you know think about your sugar intake think about the kind of the artificial fats the trans fats that your body can't really process that can you know have also been found to to be inflammatory what kind of things are where would you find trans fats are we talking about sort of processed foods uh, biscuits pies cakes pastries processed food and so again you know if all you've got if that's all you've got in your cupboard and you haven't got any veg or any grains or any you know protein then have a think about trying to address that balance and it's not about depriving yourself of everything that you enjoy at a really stressful time, but it's about trying to get a balance and ensure that you are nourishing your body to give it the best chance to, you know, be healthy and support the immune response that, it, you know, it might need to, to use anytime soon. Sure. And I think we've just ordered a load of, I've just ordered a load of seeds online because I'm sort of racking my brains and scratching my head thinking, what can I do to entertain the children? Because this is likely to be quite an ongoing situation for a you know, considerable period of time now, I think. So I've ordered a load of seeds and we're going to try and do some grow your own stuff at home. I'm not that green fingered, although I love gardening, but I've I've ordered some sort of cherry tomatoes and some other bits and pieces that apparently are quite easy to grow. Yeah. So it's, I think it's the right time of the year to be, to be planting some of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that hopefully in the next, I don't know, three, four months, we might have a little crop of, we get maybe two tomatoes or something. Yeah. It's a great idea though. It's a lovely idea. It's a nice activity as well, just to, you know, pass some time with the kids and they obviously like doing that. It really is. And you know, the other thing probably to mention, which isn't, specifically diet related is stress levels and sleep you know it is a stressful time for for everybody and for some people more than others you know it's very very difficult for some people that are faced with financial difficulties you know what's going to happen with my job you know or who've got underlying health concerns but actually just trying to find ways to minimize your stress levels because stress is actually really puts your body in quite a pro-inflammatory state, actually. And we don't really want that right now. We want our body to be in a really good place and ready to, you know, to deal with whatever it's got to deal with. So just encourage people to 
there's loads of stuff coming through, loads of positivity stuff coming through on social media, certainly that I'm seeing with ideas and lovely little, you know, people that are saying, I'm going to post one positive thing a day. And, you know, this, you know, even today, Robbie Williams did a 45 minute sing along, you know, and he was, he was, he's in self isolation and he, he's in his bed. And <laughs> I haven't watched it all, but it, you know, those are the kind of things that are going to lift you if you're just having a bit of a rubbish day, just singing and, you know, or looking at something that makes you laugh or, you know, a bit of meditation if you've got any of the apps, some mindfulness, whatever works for you. Yeah, I was going to say the meditation. I recorded a really good episode. Uh, I think it was the second episode of the podcast with Beth Hammond, the confidence coach, talking about her kind of journey and overcoming the diagnosis that she had of a brain tumor and how to deal with that in a really positive way. Like she's the, I mean, you know, Beth, she's like the most positive person ever. So lots of the stuff that were that was in that episode, I think would be really, really useful to listen to again now. Um, Definitely. She talks about how, you know, the lens with which you look through is essentially going to be your experience of something yeah there's yeah like you say there is lots of stuff I saw as well that Oliver Jeffers is going to be reading his books online and lots of people are giving away stuff for free I saw today that all the national trust places are going to be open for free how long you know everything's going to be open I don't know but there's lots of good stuff going on isn't there so it's actually bringing people together in a strange way even though we're having to stay far apart from each other it's I've got a community vibe. Yeah, it's the real community effort. And it's this big virtual world that we've built. You know, it feels more interactive now than it ever has. We norm- I feel like sometimes we just sit behind it and watch it. But now I feel like we're all in it and we need to embrace it. And we need to, we need to really um, be part of it in a positive way and take the bits of it that are going to help us. Um, and there's loads of stuff out there. So, yeah. Um, and sleep, you know, try. it's difficult. I'm not sleeping very well. I haven't slept very well the last three nights. You know, I'm waking up in the night and I can't go back to sleep. And I know that's because we've, we've all got stuff on our minds. But just thinking about your sleep hygiene, your sleep practices, you know, what time you go to bed, minimising screen time before you go to bed, doing something that can be quite sort of, you know, calming before you go to bed and thinking about just, just, you know, giving yourself a chance to have a bit longer. <laughs> you know, we haven't all got to get up as early at the moment. That's a benefit. That's a benefit. Surely, you know, the kids are not going to be going to school soon. Most of us are working from home. Apologies if you're not. I know that's really difficult for some people, but just try to think about getting as much sleep as you can, because that is also going to really help your body because so much of the, of the biochemical processes, so many of them that we need for our body to heal, recover, you know, are done at night so yeah don't forget that that's really important I think um for me certainly for the last week I feel like I've binged on the news and actually too much to the point where I'm sort of checking I mean I was checking it every I don't know every half an hour hour kind of wanting to see what's the latest what's the latest and I've had to really draw a line under that now and say right I'm going to check in with the news at lunchtime, if anything else significant happens, I've asked my husband to tell me. But other than that, I'm going to try to really ration my consumption of the news and especially not listening or watching the news at sort of 10 o'clock before bed. Because like you say, going to bed with all that stuff just whirring through my brain, I, I wasn't sleeping well either. Um, yeah, it just hypes you up, doesn't it? It does. And it's all the worry and, you know, definitely. So yeah, good advice. So perhaps we could just spend a minute just talking about any supplements because I think people will be asking what could they or should they possibly be taking now to support their immune system absolutely so 
obviously we've talked about food and there's lots you can do with food but we do need certain vitamins in our bodies in a greater amounts than potentially we're getting at particular times like this and vitamins can act as antioxidants which are very important and also to support our immune defenses particularly as we get older as well the levels of um, acid in our stomach can decline and some vitamins that are fat soluble such as vitamins d a e and k they actually need stomach acid to be absorbed so we can potentially absorb things less well as we get older and actually stomach acid can be suppressed by stress you know alcohol smoking infections etc so so i i'm actually you know lots of people say oh well shouldn't you be able to get everything from your food it's a big debate and not one i probably should get into here but because I'll go off on one but our food isn't the same as our food was 50 years ago our soils are depleted the minerals that were in our soils are not there our food is grown differently our food is farmed differently it's transported you know we don't have the same farm to plate situation going on as we did 50 years ago so our you know that has impacted the levels of things in our food that potentially our bodies need. At a time like this when we're all quite quite stressed, we need a bit more anyway. So I, I, I'm taking a lot of supplements at the moment. Um, I think that's, you know, people, if, in their, if they decide they want to, that's fine. The only thing I'll say is if you are on any medications, you do need to be mindful and careful that anything you decide to take doesn't interact with any medications that you're taking and you know normally I would work with people one-on-one and I could give them that advice personally and obviously with something like this it's quite general advice so you just need to know that there's loads of information out there but just be a bit careful if you're on anything that you 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 double check that whatever you're going to supplement with isn't going to give any adverse reactions but the things that I'm taking and the things that are researched to be supportive for the immune system vitamin d is the first thing it's very hard to get enough from your diet it's a sort of key nutrient which affects the immune response and it has been shown in some studies to also have antiviral properties and in the winter you know we normally make it through sun on our skin that's how our body makes it and we're we're in the winter in the northern hemisphere so that's a really important one that i i'm taking that's a spray right because i've i've got a vitamin d spray is that the only way to take it yeah no you can get you can get tablets you can get sprays you can get drops are any of those particularly sort of more effective than others or is it just sort of the ease of use potentially yes potentially um if you have any absorption issues potentially the tablet might be might be the least effective in some people if they have problems because you've actually then got to absorb that through the gut wall so there is evidence with some vitamins of vitamin d i believe is one of them that sublingually so a drop under your tongue or a spray you're you're kind of bypassing that i just think it's easier to do in it i take a lot of pills anyway so i think it's easier to do the ones that i can do in a drop or a spray and my kids like the drops and the spray as well so and what what sort of levels are we looking at for that now that, that is a difficult one for me to answer. Now, the reason for that is that if I'm being honest, really to know exactly what level your body requires, you would need to know what your levels are. So vitamin D testing is really easy to do. And actually, if you can test somebody, you can then go, oh, you're deficient or not. However, generally speaking, you'll find that good vitamin D supplements come in what's called IUs or international units and come generally in like a thousand. And most people 
we'll, we'll be supplementing a thousand IUs, sometimes going up to two or three in the winter. So, and that's per per day. Per day, yeah, yeah. And so that would be in one one spray, perhaps. Yeah, in a in a spray. So I give my kids a thousand IU, a drop or a spray, and I'm I take two every day. But I have taken more in the past when I feel like my my um, immune system suppressed. The other one that is vitamin C. There's quite a lot being talked about because in China there's a study underway to see if high doses of vitamin C can help with specifically with COVID-19. They're testing its effects on 120 patients who've had the virus, but they're giving them a very, very high dose. We're talking 24 grams for seven days. They haven't published the, res- the results, but there's stuff coming through to, to suggest that this is working. And we know that Vitamin C has got powerful antiviral activity. It's a, it's an antioxidant. It's supportive of the overall immune system. So I personally don't see any reason why we wouldn't all be supplementing with vitamin C because, you know, you can, of course you can get it from fruit and vegetables anyway, but there's studies with colds and bear in mind, we know that the virus is, is in the same family as for the strains of the common cold. There are studies with the common cold to show that the vitamin C can shorten the infection by up to 20 to 50 percent that's significant yes wow yeah so if you think about it if if it was effective against this virus it could potentially cut the length of the active infection that would probably be quite quite helpful so eat eat lots of vitamin C rich foods I'm supplementing at the moment with 2,000 milligrams a day Usually good, decent vitamin C tablets come in a thousand milligrams and I'm supplementing with 2000 a day and I'm doing one in the morning and one in the evening because you will just excrete what you don't need. So just so I've got a steady stream coming in. There's no harm then if you take too much of it. Well, that, that level is not, is, is, is not going to be harmful. Zinc is a really important one, has a central role in the immune system and, you know, it's actually potentially exerts antiviral effects as well at certain stages of the viral life cycle so that's a really a really good one and so things like shellfish beans pulses nuts seeds and eggs but supplementation also may be useful at this time for zinc so think about think about that one I, actually I'm taking some zinc and I've also recommended it to my mum to take some because a couple of years ago I was suffering with lots and lots of like sinus infections and sore throats but but very sort of severe and one of my friends said to me oh have you tried taking some zinc and this was something that was completely new to me and I was like oh no I haven't <laughs> I didn't even realize that that was an immune thing and um, obviously did a bit of research and started taking the zinc and you know touch wood since then I've been completely free of all of those sinus issues and sort of really debilitating tonsillitis and all that kind of stuff since I've been taking the zinc. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for zinc. Definitely. I think we should be taking zinc. And, and I've been looking at some interesting stuff at the moment about zinc's role specifically with viruses. And actually it's quite amazing because potentially it can inhibit the kind of processing and replication mechanism of the virus. So I am popping the zinc as well. And the other one's vitamin A, which is an anti-inflammatory, has an important role in enhancing immune function. Lots of people get really freaked out about vitamin A. There's this kind of stigma that it's, oh no, I shouldn't take vitamin A. You can get it from, it's not abundant in food. You can get it from things like beef liver, a cod liver oil. And certain foods can, can like um, orange foods can convert carotenoids they're called beta carotenoids to to vitamin a so things like carrot sweet potatoes mango you know red peppers apricots 
but I also think it's a useful supplement. I've got a, a bottle that's a uh, like a drop, um, and it's a drop of vitamin A and E together. And I'm just putting a drop of that on all my children's breakfast and on a, and on ours as well. What about magnesium? Yeah, I mean, not specifically with regard to viral stuff. I haven't noted anything down, but magnesium is such a beneficial mineral anyway that it's you know if you are taking it and you're taking it safely and with no adverse effects then I wouldn't say to stop taking it if it's something you already have in your supplement regime. Why would somebody take magnesium? Oh I mean it's it supports I can't remember the number it's something ridiculous like 300 and enzyme processes in the body it's really really important for it's widespread for so many different things so probably too many to actually talk about but it's it's also very good for you know if you've got any sort of aches and pains and you're you're, you're feeling headaches there's loads of different things that it's used for um, it's usually if you're taking a multivit there's usually a decent level of magnesium in in a good multivitamin anyway I don't supplement in addition to that at the moment I have got some in because I tend to have a bit of everything, but I'm not taking additional magnesium at the moment. What about omegas? The sort of omega oil? Yeah, omega-3. So yeah, your kind of fish oil supplements. I take them anyway. They're kind of one of my base level supplements. So if I have, if I work with someone and they're like, well, there's no underlying health issues, no kind of medications or anything like that. You can't take a fish oil if you're on something like any blood thinners or something like warfarin or anything like that. But I tend to recommend that as a base supplement. It's really important for the sort of managing the inflammatory processes in our body so really good for um, making sure that we don't you know our inflammatory pathways aren't working in the wrong way if you like so yes if, as long as you're not taking any medications that are you know not not work with official then and you have some then it, it, it's a good thing to be taking right now for sure and I think I mean obviously we'll just I have to wrap up in a minute because this is quite a long episode and I realise it's a lot for somebody to take in. But I was just wanted to ask you about probiotics. Is that something you'd recommend? Yeah, supporting your gut health is a really good idea. And so probiotics are basically putting in, you know, we talked about the importance of fibre and the good bacteria in your gut thriving on certain types of foods. This essentially is putting the bacteria in. It's such a minefield these days with what's in them. There's so many different strains. There's being strains researched for all different types of things. It is you literally could spend a week looking at the research. And I'm not really that that involved in that area. But suffice to say, if you get a good company that makes a good probiotic that's got usually sort of 10 to 20 billion CFUs, it's called colony forming units. So you need a don't bother with any of these 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, you know. By the time they've got down into your digestive tract, they're probably, you're probably not going to have any left anyway. So you need to take a fairly decent amount. But, yeah, it can be very beneficial to help people that guts are a little bit out of kilter and that need a bit more support. So if you have some, you know, yes, take them. There's another probiotic yeast that's called it's a bit of a long-winded name but it's called Saccharomyces boulardii and that's a really good one for the immune system because it supports something called secretory IgA which is a it's located in your mucous membranes in your digestive tract so it's involved with the immune system and involved with protecting you against infectious agents so that is actually really quite a good one 
that if you can get hold of any Saccharomyces boulardii, that's quite a good one to take as well. If you can spell it, that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's this there's sort of last point is that there are lots of antiviral herbs and herbs that are researched. So things like licorice, dandelion, bee propolis. Licorice wouldn't be suitable for someone with high blood pressure, but there's something called Chinese skullcap. There's lots of stuff that's being talked about in those herbs, you know, those kind of herbal, you know, compounds that can also potentially be helpful for antiviral. So, yeah, there's lots out there. Okay, well, that's given us a lot of food for thought there. Excuse the pun. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Josie. Obviously, just, you know, wish you and your family, you know, good health, stay well, keep that social distancing going and keep washing those hands. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again shortly when things are perhaps more calm. But thank you for spending your time with us today. Thanks, Liz. It's been a pleasure.